0: It's Tuesday, September 12th, 2017. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is The Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, today we continue walking through the book Ordinary, which was written by Tony Morita. And today we're looking at chapter one, entitled Neighbor Love, How Justified Sinners Show Compassion in Word and Deed. And so as we begin looking at this chapter, I first want us to know that we honor God by loving our neighbors. And right, if we think of the Ten Commandments, they were really separated into two groups of commandments. One- The way that we relate to God, and then two, the way we relate to others. And so, as we start off, I just want us to look at four ways we relate to others according to the Ten Commandments, how we show love and honor our. God by loving our neighbors. And, and before we look at these four, let's be reminded of what Romans 12, 9 through 13 says. It says, "'Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit.'" Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So the first way we honor God by loving our neighbors is we do not murder. And I know for most of us, we probably think I've not murdered anyone. But let's remember that in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26, Jesus ups the ante on murder. And he says, if you've even thought in your heart that someone, you hated someone, or you wanted to hurt someone, then you are guilty of murder. Let us remember that God is the creator and sustainer of life. And so we honor him and recognize the worth of every person as a reflection of his glory. We must love our neighbor, even when they are hard to love. And number two, we we do not commit adultery. So we do not murder, and then we do not commit adultery. God created the family to be a unit of fidelity and safety. Sin marred that creation by causing man to be harsh to his wife while having lustful eyes and allowing the woman to want to lead and to seek to lead the husband. Sin has given us a low view of God's design for marriage and a permissiveness for divorce right? And again, if we look again at what Jesus does, he ups the ante in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 32, when, when he talks about we must honor our bodies, we must honor our minds, that the man who lusts is a man that in his heart is committing adultery. So we must honor others' bodies and their hearts, above our own desires. So we we show love to our neighbors by first not murdering them, by not committing adultery, and then number three, by not stealing. We are prone to take what is not ours. We are prone to resent others for what they have that we don't have. And we are prone to desire a person things above who God created them to be. We have failed to agree with James that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. We, unfortunately, beloved, love the gifts over the giver. And Matthew 6, 19 through 21, reminds us that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. That we should not store our treasure up in places with moth and rust can destroy, but store our treasure in heaven. We treasure the Lord and the people created in his image above our resources or the resources of another. So we should not murder. We should not commit adultery. We should not steal. And the fourth way that we show the glory of God by loving our neighbor is we do not lie or put down our neighbor. You know, God is a God of truth, but Satan, the deceiver, is a liar and the father of lies. You know, since Genesis 3, we have been prone to accentuate the sins of others while minimizing or mitigating our own sins by framing them as Paltry or are insignificant are provoked, right? If you have kids, you have seen this in action you see one of your children hit another one and you go to stop them and to call them out and what does the one who hit the other child say almost instantly well you have no idea what they said to me well if you had heard and been here earlier and heard what they did to me you would have known that they deserved this punch right but if the child had been the one being punched he would instantly have called out the one that was the puncher and mitigated what he did to provoke the punch. The truth of the matter is we are prone to accentuate the sins of another while minimizing our own sins. We, we want to, to show others as evil and sinful while showing ourselves as holy and righteous, that we are above reproach. Oh, this is, what, this is what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 33. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for it cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Any. Anything more of this comes from evil. And beloved, we have to watch our speech, right? We show the glory of God by loving our neighbors, by watching our speech. So we do not murder, we do not commit adultery, we do not steal, and we do not lie or put down our neighbor. And by looking at these four ways, we relate to others from the Ten Commandments and in correlation from the Sermon on the Mount Uh, It it reminds us of what Tony says in chapter one of Ordinary when he says, we can understand and truly see that we are sinners that need justification. And it's only through justification that we can show justice. Because if we're honest, we have broken every single one of the Ten Commandments. Maybe not physically, but certainly spiritually and emotionally and in our hearts. And before we can show love to our neighbor, we must have received it ourselves. And and oh, we, we need it because the truth is we are murderers, adulterers, thieves, and liars in our hearts, and many times even in our actions. We cannot save ourselves because the standard that we see Jesus set in the Sermon on the Mount is so very high, we will never be able to attain it. Oh, But because we cannot save ourselves, we have abundant, amazing grace that comes alone through Jesus Christ. And because we have received that grace, we show great mercy and neighbor love. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, the Christian serves his Lord simply out of gratitude. He has no salvation to gain, no heaven to lose. Now, out of love to the God who chose him and who gave so great a price for his redemption, he desires to lay out himself entirely to his master's service. The child of God works not for life, but from life. He does not work to be saved. He works because he is saved. And so Tony Marita introduces three principles in Ordinary that help us reconcile this tension between faith and good works. First, he says, let's embrace mercy ministry under the shadow of the cross. And this leads us to the mission that the Lord has called us to individually, corporately, and then for our staff specifically through Lifeline, a mission to preach the gospel with words and action as we show the justice of the kingdom. Those who want to alleviate suffering should want to alleviate more than temporary suffering. They should also want to alleviate eternal suffering, which can only come through faith in Christ. And then number two, the the second principle for reconciling the tension between faith and good works is let's be motivated by the gospel of grace, not guilt. We will love others well when we rest in the love of the Redeemer right? We show love because we have been so abundantly loved by Christ. We're, we're not motivated by guilt. We're motivated by the gospel that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, we love others well when we realize how extravagantly we've been loved by the Savior. And then the third principle for reconciling the tension between faith and good works. Let's remember that mercy ministry, it radically impacts the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Emperor Julian the Apostate in the mid-300s tried to stop the spread of Christianity. He, He was angry because it was growing. He said that a reason for the spread of it was Christians' quote-unquote charity to the poor. He actually said the impious Galileans not only feed their own, but ours as well, welcoming them to their agape love. They attract them as children are attracted with cakes. Oh, the reason, beloved, that we defend the fathers, the reason that we do justice is to attract people to the love and the grace and the mercy of Christ Jesus, our beloved Savior. Our mercy is done so that from faith to faith, others may have faith in our Jesus. So in closing today, let's look at four things that love is not. Four things that love is not. Number one, love is not tolerance, right? We call others to repentance. We don't accept sin or normalize it. Instead, we love the sinner by speaking truth. Right? I I often say that truth and love are best friends, right? Today, if you went to a doctor to find out if you had cancer and the doctor told you that you didn't have cancer while you were dying of cancer. He knew you had cancer, but he told you you didn't. We would sue him for malpractice because he didn't speak the truth. In the same manner, if we went to that same doctor and he told us we had cancer and he said, oh, buddy, you got cancer and you're eating up and you'll be dead and in the ground in about a week, we would say he spoke the truth, but he was not loving. He had terrible bedside manner. The truth of the matter, beloved, is we must speak the truth in love. Don't be fearful in this culture and in this generation to speak the truth. Tolerance is the day of the age, but love is not tolerance. Matthew 10, 28 tells you Christ's follower, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him alone, God alone, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So love is not tolerance. But number two, love is not Eros. Love isn't just lust, right? Love is not just wanting someone because of what they can give you. Love is not just looking at the attractiveness of someone. Love is not lust. It's not Eros. And number three, the third thing we see uh, that is not love is love is not a colloquial word. We don't use it to express the things we like or enjoy the best, right? We, we use love so many times, so. Uh, so so flippantly, oh, I love Alabama football, or I love this TV show, or I love this music, or I love my house, or I love my job. Love is not a colloquial word that we throw around. No, love is something greater. And then the fourth thing, love is not, love is not sentiment. Right? Love is not just a feeling. It's not just something that wells up inside of us. But as we close, what is love? Right? Love is first John three sixteen. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Oh, neighbor love is the love that is displayed because we have been so loved by the Savior. Love involves compassion that leads to action, which is always cloaked in the gospel of King Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God? To use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child. Please contact us because we are here to defend the followers. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.